Welcome to Hide of Heart. I'm Deanna Fletcher. I'm so grateful that you've decided to join the conversation and download the podcast this week. Let me ask you, have you ever heard about the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon? He was one of the most well-known figures in church history, preaching multiple times across a week to packed out crowds at the purpose-built Metropolitan Tabernacle in Elephant and Castle, London. The venue, which is still a thriving church to this day, fit about 6,000 people and it's rumoured Queen Victoria would disguise herself in order to come and hear him preach among with citizens of the city. Have you heard tales of his wife, Susanna Spurgeon? Far more than a prominent man's dedicated spouse, Susie, as she was known, dedicated her life to the gospel, making it her mission to arm preachers, pastors and people in Christian mission with Bibles, books and literary works where they couldn't afford them. It was a massive undertaking in Victorian times and is just one of the incredible acts of mercy Susie Spurgeon is known for. Today, we're delving into a bit of church history and knowing more about these incredible heroes of the faith with Ray Rhodes Jr. He's the founding pastor of Grace Community Church, a community in Dawsonville, Georgia in the States. He's also the president of Nourished in the Word Ministries, has long been a Spurgeon enthusiast and is the author of Susie, the Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, one of the few biographies dedicated to the life and works of this incredible woman of faith. So let us start sort of at the beginning. It would be difficult to explore the impact of Susanna Spurgeon and look at the impact she had on the world if we didn't first have an idea of the impact of Charles Spurgeon. Could you give us a brief overview of his legacy and why his name is so well known the world over? Yeah, Charles Spurgeon was born in 1834 in rural England. And uh, by the time he's 16, he is converted and pastoring a church at age 17 in Water Beach. And uh, the church grows uh, significantly during his two-year pastorate there. So word gets to London about his ministry, and he's invited to the uh, New Park Street Chapel, as it was called at that time, later the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And uh, began there a ministry that lasted from uh, 1854 until uh, 1892 when he died. Uh, Spurgeon wrote 135 books. There are 63 volumes of sermons. He gave oversight to 60 institutions. Uh, He traveled extensively and preached. Uh, He was uh, more well-known in some circles than the prime minister of, uh, of England, He was known the world over and respected. And, of course, his wife Susie gave her uh, remaining years to promoting his legacy. And in in great measure, the reason we have uh, so many books by Spurgeon today, and he's so well-known today, is because of her commitment to his legacy. Charles Spurgeon, of course, is well, now known as the Prince of Preachers. I believe the Queen at one point actually snuck out or snuck into one of his sermons in disguise. Is that right? Well, that's a, that's a rumor. I've not been able to verify that, but uh, it sounds very possible. I think she did that at, on other occasions for events as well, Queen Victoria. So. Yes, she was uh, quite the one to get into disguise. And I think nowadays with social media, <laughs> everyone having a phone, you would struggle because she'd be so much more photographed now. Um, well, tell us about the meat cute of these trailblazing ministers, as it were. How did Susanna, or Susie as she's known to us, and Charles Spurgeon meet? And what was her first impression of him? Well, Susie's first impression of Charles was uh, not positive. 
uh, she attended the New Park Street Chapel, and he was invited to preach as a guest preacher on December the 18th, 1853. Now, Susie is a city girl. Uh, she was raised in London, and she spent a significant time in Paris as well. So she was accustomed to uh, upper class or at least upper middle class English life, very refined, very cultured, very educated, speak French fluently. Uh, so Charles, uh, also very well read, a very educated man himself, but nevertheless was a man of the countryside and uh, loved nature, loved the small village life. And that's what he knew. He grew up on Puritan soil and uh, everywhere from uh, Cambridgeshire area to Colchester and Stambourne. So that was Spurgeon's world. And he didn't have a lot of money at that time almost none, uh, barely enough to survive on as a pastor of a village church. And so coming to London, he came as a countryfied preacher, and Susie was offended by his clothing, by his hair, uh, by his manner of speech. Uh, She could not understand why the New Park Street Chapel once had been the largest Baptist church in England, why they would invite such a country preacher to their esteemed pulpit. Well, of course, they did end up getting married and embarking on this whole journey together. So let's focus a little bit more on Susie and her achievements. She was a wife and she did raise children. But outside of her commitment to her family, how how did she become a leader of her time? What was her impact on the world we live in today? That's right. Well, she, uh, Susie was quite a remarkable woman and uh, impacted uh, the world then and still today uh, greatly. Uh, her and Charles were married in 1856, so they went from, she went from being pretty offended by his appearance and mannerisms to seeking counsel from him after he gave her a copy of the Pilgrim's Progress. That's in April of 1854. Now he's uh, the official pastor of the New Park Street Chapel. In June of 1854, he, uh, he displays his love for her by a book as, as well. And they're engaged in August of 1854. So from December to August, a lot has changed in Susie's mind about, about Charles. They're married in January of 1856, and immediately she is thrust into a world that uh, she was, even then, uh, unaccustomed to. Spurgeon's popularity had grown so much and was continuously growing. And so, as a young pastor's wife, she invested early in Charles's ministry by helping to support the, the early foundation of the pastor's college by training one student. And so Susie had to uh, sacrifice the family budget to help support this uh, this effort. She also sacrificed her time in uh, Charles traveling, sometimes speaking 10 times a week. Uh, so he's out and about and around preaching and writing and, and working and as, as his popularity is is growing so so quickly. Uh, but she makes a commitment early on in their marriage that she would not be a hindrance, but only a support to his ministry. And she did that uh, by her willingness to let him go, by her support of the pastor's college, by her ministry to ladies at the church, uh, especially the baptismal candidates and 
after she died, those who were still alive uh, remembered her and how much she had uh, impacted them. Uh, but beyond that, uh, in, she traveled with Charles. Uh, one of the things that was striking to me about Susie was that uh, she was a mountain hiker. She hiked the major passes of the Alps. Uh, and Charles often riding in the carriage with his publisher talking books and theology while Susie's out ahead of the carriage walking, uh, uh, discovering God's creation. Uh, but by 1868, as, as you know, she is afflicted and uh, homebound mostly for the rest of her ministry. But she doesn't sit passively by. Uh, she begins in 1875 really a ministry that one of the ministries that she is most well known for, the uh, pastor's book fund, Mrs. Spurgeon's book fund, as it was called. Well, yes, the, the, the book fund is the one thing I really would like to touch on a little bit more because, yes, of course, she was very committed to her husband and she was committed to the ministry that he was a part of and how he felt led and called. But I love that with Susie, I was, I've been struck by this concept that for her it was always the gospel first. It was always Jesus first. And um, she really demonstrated that even when she... She was homebound and bedbound, not able to get up and, and walk, as you say, and, and travel with her husband and meet people that he would speak to and that he would pastor. She still did more than her part by making sure that pastors who couldn't afford them were given the books that they needed to grow both spiritually and in every area of their life. So what really led her to start this book fund and what was the need? Who was she helping? Yeah, that's a well, great question. And I think a little context, maybe uh, the Spurgeon's marriage is important to understand how Susie could be so engaged and involved in ministry in her own right. Uh, in Victorian times, many women were essentially under the thumb of their husbands, and that not always in a positive uh, way. But Charles Spurgeon, he loved Susie, and he encouraged her in, his, in her ministry and to step out on her own as best she could, to do all that she could with the strength that she had to serve the Lord herself. And so he saw her not simply as his wife, she was certainly that and joyfully so, but he saw her as a, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. And so in 1875, Spurgeon uh, handed her a, a proof copy of volume one of his lectures to my students. And Susie read that, and he said, what do you, what do you think about that? And, and she said, that's so wonderful. I wish we could give a copy of this to every pastor in England. And Spurgeon looked at her and said, well, Susie, why don't you make that happen? She was taken aback by that. She had never imagined that she would be the one. And it dawned on her that her faith couldn't simply be that which is spoken, but she had to live her faith, as she had previously been doing, but now maybe in a larger way. Over the course of her life, from 1875 until uh, she died in 1903, she gave oversight to this pastor's book fund, uh, Mrs. Spurgeon's book fund, that gave away 200,000 books. But she did her part, and so she sent these books. In many cases, these pastors had some of these pastors had not had a new book in years uh, to help them in their study, so they could preach better sermons, grow healthier congregations, and as a result, support uh, the gospel spreading throughout. Uh, but not only did she do that, that that spawned the uh, pastors' aid fund. And she would send money. She would send clothing. Uh, 
she would send stationery, other items that would just help those families to enjoy their lives a bit more without the pressure. Uh, she felt that if a pastor was constantly thinking about how he was going to pay his bills, how he was going to feed his family, how he was going to get health care for his children, how he was going to do all of that and care for a congregation, that his mind would be so distracted and preoccupied that he, he just not would be, they'd be as effective as he could be though she honored these men and believed they did the very best job that they can. So that uh, pastor's uh, book fund led to some other ministries that were developed and the distribution of books, not only in England, but ultimately around the world. How much work she got about doing, it's incredible. In Victorian times, she didn't have the internet, she didn't have cars and aeroplanes and easy ways to ship things and, you know, mass producing printing presses, didn't even necessarily have a lot of money. And even in her, on her sickbed, it just sounds like she was always working to the benefit of others and, and furthering the gospel. It's a great testament that whatever season of life you find yourself in, you know, as a female, but also as a male as well, uh, you can certainly do a lot to, um, to do your part. In if you feel called, you can get involved. I'm reminded actually from what you were saying there about um, where in Luke 8 it talks about um, how the women really supported Jesus' ministry out of their, they provided out of their own resources. And it sounds like she was, she was one of those women from the Bible who really got stuck in and made sure that people, pastors were resourced and it didn't matter if she didn't have the money, if she didn't have the health or if she had other responsibilities like raising a family. Um, how do you feel that she's a great example to other women particularly? I mean, yes, talking about her lasting legacy, um, but also like what should be our takeaway from the life that she so purposefully lived and sounds like it was a very full life as well? Yeah, I think there are takeaways for men, women, boys and girls uh, as, as we study Susie's life. Uh, a lot of women will identify with her uh, also because of her health issues. Though we don't know the specific nature of her affliction, we know that the most famed gynecologist of the day did surgery on her. And so we're, we're certain, uh, relatively certain, that it had to do with uh, her a female issue that she faced and she suffered with really for the rest of her life. And it caused her pain throughout her body. Uh, her mother died at 57. Her aunt died young. It could be, it was hereditary even. So she suffered with that uh, disease, uh, that affliction. And she did so uh, without complaining. Uh, uh, it's just hard to imagine days in which you don't, you're not able to lift your head nor your hand, as she put it. The pain was so intense. And, and she's often separated from her husband during that time, uh, initially due to his ministry, but later on due to his own health. He has to seek out warmer weather, and he goes to the southern coast of France to do that. So he's a long ways from home. Now, he provides for her in Victorian era as well. There were household servants, not slaves, but servants, really household employees. And by the time Spurgeon died, they had about nine employees. So they have dressmakers and cooks and gardeners, the, you know, a full staff because the Spurgeon home was an industry. It wasn't just a, a, a normal pastor and his wife and a, and a small village church. It was really an industry in many ways. So Susie is an illustration, not only of supporting her husband's ministry and, and, and embracing his vision, 
But she did so in the midst of suffering, and she did so by looking to Christ and by faith in his word. She read the scripture through every year, and she loved to take small portions of scripture and meditate on those. And the result of that is we have three wonderful devotional books uh, that Susie wrote uh, that are left behind for us today. They can still be picked up in reprints uh, in various places. So her perseverance in faith, her love for the ministry, her husband's ministry, but also the ministry of these pastors, uh, the Banner of Truth uh, Trust, a publishing house and ministry that exists today uh, in Scotland and here in America and around the world, they have they have influence. They have something similar to Mrs. Spurgeon's book fund because of her example. And there are other ministries like that as well. Her love for pastors, her love for the church. But Susie's greatest legacy, in my view, is her commitment to the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I don't believe that we have the Charles Spurgeon that we do today if he had not had the wife that he did. Uh, That's how important that Susie was to him. One biographer mentioned, uh, you know, Spurgeon suffered with deep, dark depression. And after the music hall disaster in, in October of 1856, After that, Spurgeon's depression intensified, and one biographer said that Susie Spurgeon helped Charles Spurgeon keep his sanity. He may have lost his mind after that without the wife that he had. That's the sort of strong and encouraging and stabilizing figure that she was. But uh, because of her commitment after his death to seeing his sermons translated and distributed around the world, uh, we have we're able to walk into a Christian bookstore, at least here in America, really easily. And there's morning and evening. There are other Spurgeon books. He's still one of the top selling Christian authors in America today, and maybe the same case in in England. Uh, he's he's everywhere. Uh, homes, of, er, folks on the street know Charles Spurgeon here. Uh, even unbelievers. Uh, it's not uncommon to meet an unbeliever who's seen or heard of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, or morning and evening. So Susie's greatest legacy, in my view, is her commitment after his death to promoting his legacy and even planting a church in the mid-1890s in memory of Charles Spurgeon. Not She wouldn't l- allow it to be named after him, but in memory of Charles Spurgeon. So uh, her commitment to his legacy has blessed me personally, and I know you as well, Deanna, and Christians around the world. Absolutely. And I, I do think it's a great um, testament to, as you say, the impact that a wife has in her relationship and uh, on the wor- world at large through her relationship, which is a really interesting way of looking at it as well. You do refer in your book to Susie as the great sufferer. Did you mean because of her um, her illness? I mean, it sounds like she might have had a form of cancer or something like that that went un- undiagnosed. Yeah, uh, well, you know, there's been some theories about the the sort of uh, affliction she had or faced. Uh, One theory is endometriosis, which can uh, cause uh, a person great pain for the rest of their life. And, of course, they didn't have the sort of treatments that we have today. And yet the person is able to live through that. So it's not it's it's cancer like in many ways but typically it doesn't result in a person's early death and so Susie lived to be 71 years of age which in Victorian times was uh, a ripe old age uh, so yeah the she was a great sufferer but she was also a great sufferer because of Charles uh, uh, she missed him greatly when he was gone though she 
she encouraged him to, to move forward with his ministry. She was lonely, as many pastor's wives are who have more traditional ministries than Charles had. Uh, many times a pastor's wife is simply lonely, uh, for uh, not necessarily because there's a lack of friends, but lonely for their husband while others are demanding their attention. And pastors are giving attention to so many different people that it's not uncommon for the wife and children to feel a bit a bit lonely. <laughs> well, they certainly went through an awful lot as a couple. I mean, they obviously had those all sorts of health challenges in the Victorian times, but I love hearing how um, their relationship was so strong throughout all that time and so genuine, and they supported one another, which is, as you mentioned earlier, women um, sort of lived under the thumb of men at the time. It's, it's a, You know, you can take it for granted now, living in 2018, what it would have been like for her way back then, but thankfully she had a, a husband who supported her ministry, which is amazing. And I think she's obviously very, um, she's very relatable, like with whether it's going through loneliness or various challenges in health and all sorts of things that she has gone through that plenty of women will go through today. It certainly makes her very relatable. We're almost coming to the end of our time together, but um, speaking about suffering for her husband, Charles Spurgeon was a famous guy. He's known today as the Prince of Preachers and certainly celebrity is a concept that most of us in the Western world understand to some extent. It could be movie stars from pop icons in music or even social media's influence today, it's elevating everyday people to celebrity status. So a lot of people might consider what it's like to be famous, but I suppose give less thought a lot of the time to what it's like living in the shadow of a well-known family member. Um, Tell me, what were the most pronounced difficulties or pressures of being married to the most famous preacher of the Victorian era? So famous, his churches were packed out and the Queen actually came in disguise to hear him preach. I mean, this guy was famous. That's right. And he was friends with the uh, the prime ministers of uh, the time period as well. They sought him for counsel. Of course, they wanted his approval. Uh, uh, any sort of political benefit they could get from being around Spurgeon, they, they wanted that as well because he was, like I said, in many cases more popular than they were, much more popular. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that uh, – and maybe an illustration from early in uh, – well, Later in their engagement, just before they were married, Spurgeon was preaching at a venue in London. Um, after uh, It was an afternoon event. He had lunch with Susie and her family, and she accompanied him to this event. Uh, there was a crowd of people outside, and the inside was packed as well, and, Su- and Charles helped her out of the carriage and began walking into the building. And as he walked in, uh, he just simply forgot her. Uh, he was, he, he was so, always so focused on the task at hand that he could forget important things. And there's, there's actually accounts of, uh, after they're married, of, of Charles being in the vestry preparing to go out and preach and Susie walking in, and he's standing up and, and offering his hand and introducing himself to her. So he was just totally focused when it was time to preach. He was so focused on preaching that there were times he forgot her, and this happened on that particular evening. He went in uh, to preach, and after it was over, it, he, he wondered where Susie is. It came back to him, and she had ran home to her mother about uh, probably about a mile away uh, from the event, and she went home crying to her mother. It looked like the engagement might end. Uh, she was distraught. How could he have uh, forgotten her and, and left her like that? I'd be pretty mad if, if your fiancé <laughs> left you in the car. You'd be pretty mad. 
You would be. You and she was. She was. I mean, she made it to the front door, but uh, uh, after that, he walked away. And so, but Spurgeon, as her mother reminded her, he was a, he was as innocent in this as could be. It was simply a matter, not of a lack of love for her. But he was just totally absorbed in what he was about to do, the preaching of the gospel. Uh, so he, when he realized what had happened, he was frantic. He ran home to her mother and father's home as well. And uh, he said, where's Susie? Where's Susie? And, and the mother, being a very wise, very wise mother, she brought those two together. She had talked to Susie earlier in the evening that the man that you're about to marry is no ordinary man. Uh, God's hand is upon him in a very unique way, and every perhaps every generation has a, a few people that are like that. They're they're unique, and so the wise mother brought Charles and Susie together, and later they look back on that as many couples do, and. Uh, as, as a husband, I've done many stupid things. <laughs> and later on, after those things are worked out and resolved, they can become humorous. And Charles and Susie often laughed about that event. But she shared her husband, not simply with a congregation. She shared her husband with the world. I mean, I know, I know that you are a um, Spurgeon enthusiast. Quite obviously, you've studied everything there is to study about the lives of Charles and Susanna, which is incredibly insightful. So before I let you go, of course, there are women in history, though, that you could have studied and that you could have done research on, that you could have dedicated your time to write about. So why Mrs. Spurgeon? How has she specifically inspired you? Yes, I, you know, I knew that Mrs. Spurgeon existed, of course. I knew Charles had a wife. I knew little bits and pieces about her, but I didn't really know much about her. And that's really the top comment I get from folks today as I, I heard of her, but I didn't know anything about her. I was doing doctoral research at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And during that time, uh, I was looking to the spirituality of Charles and Susie Spurgeon. And I began to peel back layers of Susie Spurgeon, and I was stunned. I was amazed. And I said, well, I wonder how many books have been written about her. And I discovered that only one small biography had ever been written, that in 1903 by Charles Ray, and it may be 100 pages, that primarily approached her as Spurgeon's wife, uh, not really dealing much with her in her own right. And it was, it's helpful biography, but that was it. Only one biography of the wife of one of the most famous preachers, not only of Victorian times, but in all of history. And I, I said, that can't be. Uh, and uh, of course, there's accounts of Susie and the Spurgeon biographies, uh, brief accounts of her life and ministry, but nothing else. And I was moved by this woman who loved her husband, who loved the church, who loved poor pastors, who, who wrote prolifically and beautifully. And over time, uh, in God's providence, through the meeting of various people as well, I said, someone's got to change that. And I'm, I'm a simple preacher myself, but I put the pen to paper and sought to do what I could, and, and I'm still very inspired. The story, though it's called the full biography of, of Susie Spurgeon, there's much, much more still to this dear saint of God. As there is with all of us. Ray, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for writing the book so that myself and other women around, and men as well around the world, can learn more about this inspirational person and how we might take cue from her moving forward. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you for having me on your program today. 
My thanks to Ray Rhodes Jr. for speaking with me today and sharing some of Susie's story, a woman after God's own heart who displayed incredible leadership and courage despite many challenges. Ray's new book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, is available now from Moody Publishers. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe for more conversations around leadership, character and faith. There's much more to come.